Today on Ag News Daily. Whenever you take and, and you, uh, you, you know, essentially you're 2 million acres below for corn and over 2 million acres below for beans, uh, definitely a lot of folks' eyebrows were raised and uh, next thing you know, we're trading up the limit. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, did the Easter Bunny find you yesterday? They certainly did. They uh, we just have one Easter Bunny, um, but I, I think that's the good part about having younger siblings. For me, is that I still get Easter baskets, so I got some goodies yesterday. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I got Easter baskets all the way up until my older brother started having kids. And then when the kids got introduced into the mix, then my mom spent more time focusing on them for Easter baskets, which is fine. That's fine. But yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, Ashton. It would be nice to have younger siblings because then you'd probably get to continue having Easter candy. So I just buy my own Easter candy now and eat that instead. Or even better yet, (laughs) um, if my nieces or nephews forget their candy, or they're busy playing. I just dig through their bag and that works just as well too. See Delaney, I can't, I'm kind of on the same page with you. I have a lot of younger kiddos in my family. And so I just kind of pick through their stuff a lot. (laughs) And I don't know what that says about us. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, me neither. I don't know, but uh, hopefully everybody, all of our listeners had good Easter celebrations with their friends and family, whoever they got to spend it with this year. But Ashton, I tell you what, the other thing that we had this weekend, not only Easter weekend, but also some really warm temperatures, especially up here in the Midwest. Uh, Yesterday, I think our thermometer said it got touched 81 degrees. It was pretty warm today here in central Iowa. It is pretty warm again. I think it's somewhere around 75, 76 degrees, a little windy, but not bad. And we'll be talking to Matt Bennett here later on in the episode, but he is about to get the planter rolling Ashton. So it is definitely that time of year where we're going to see more folks out in the field. I'm curious to know, Ashton, are any farmers down in your neck of the woods out planting yet? I don't think so. I haven't seen too much movement, but I did just get back into Lubbock and on my way in, I didn't notice anything out in the fields just yet. Uh, I did see a a fella kind of looking around his field, um, taking a look to see, I guess, what his next steps are. But here pretty soon, people are going to be planting cotton. Um, that's of course like our, our major crop here in Lubbock, but we're going to have to get somebody on to talk cotton again this year. Cause we had a couple people on the past year or so talking about cotton, but as we begin to roll out planting season, we're going to have to talk to a few farmers to see what exactly is going on and what we might expect for 2021. Absolutely. We're going to have to talk also to some farmers from different parts of the country, because while we're talking weather, I receive Eric Snodgrass's daily weather report, and I think we're going to have him on the podcast hopefully later this week, so I won't steal too much of his thunder, Ashton. But as you look at 
drought monitor and temperatures running through the country, we're still seeing really abnormally dry temperatures uh, in the northern part of the United States into the upper plains. And Eric said that here over the next 10 days, we should see a forecast anomaly with really warm temperatures for this part of the year, for this time of year. And he said that that should transition into some storms, some severe thunderstorms into the upper Midwest and transition into the Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri area. So hopefully they'll get some rain there. But it's going to be really interesting to watch what weather models do here over the next month or so because it's make or break time. Going to be make or break time here for farmers to get into the field. You know, Delaney, I don't enjoy thunderstorms. They scare me quite a bit, to be honest. But uh, I, I do hope that we get some rain here in the U.S. because people are getting a little concerned because of the dry weather, these warmer temperature, high winds, at least here in the high plains. There is definitely risk for fire. So hopefully we yeah. do get some rain and it kind of put us at ease for a little bit. Ashton, well, we're just one more quick question here before we move on to talking from weather. But I saw this on Twitter the other day. I think it maybe it was also in Eric's newsletter, uh, but it was a picture shared on Twitter from a gentleman down there in the Lubbock area of a storm called a haboob. Is that a common <laughs> common word that you use down there, Ashton? Yes, I believe it is some kind of Middle Eastern term, but we have a ton of dust and sandstorms down here. And so we just call them haboobs, but it gets real crazy. For some reason, the past couple of weeks have been absolutely like insane for haboobs. I think we have one like every single day. So this with all the loose dirt and the extremely high winds, it gets real gross down here. I just think the name Haboob is quite entertaining. I know. I didn't know what that was until I moved here, but now <laughs> I'm well educated on how to even drive in a Haboob when you can barely see the road. <laughs> oh, well, fantastic. That's quite entertaining. If you ever see one, please take a picture and share it on our social media. Oh, I certainly will. I mean, I bet that I get into at least one this week. So, oh, all right then. Ashton, uh, besides the weather, what else is on your radar for this week? Well, I have been talking about the Xinjiang region of China, but talking about African swine fever this time. China has reported an outbreak of African swine fever in that region of the country. They reported that earlier today. The outbreak occurred on a farm of Xinjiang Production and Construction Corps with 599 pigs. 33 pigs were infected and six have died. And it, the statement added that the remaining live pigs in the affected area were cold. So quite a big loss there, 599 pigs. But this African swine fever, you know, China has been saying that they're like on the on the right path to getting their herds rebuilt and kind of coming out of African swine fever. But this just kind of goes to contradict those statements. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast, Ash, and I'm thinking I didn't since we didn't have an episode on Friday, but I just finished putting together a report at Trader PhD looking at African swine fever. And uh, folks, if you want to check it out, you can download the Trader PhD mobile app from the App Store and you can find it there. But I sat down with U.S. Grains Council's Chinese director, Brian Lomar, as well as the National Pork Board's uh, Dr. David Pyburn, who's the chief veterinarian. And 
honestly, both of them have the same thoughts. You know, there's no way that China is going to be able to rebuild by June of this year. And Dr. Pyburn said that there are up to nine different strains, he thinks, of African swine fever currently. And that just really complicates things when it comes to being able to find some sort of vaccine or management play for this. You know, with nine different strains, it's going to be really hard, he said, to tackle those. And he said he really doesn't ever see China completely getting rid of African swine fever. So that's pretty crazy to imagine. That really is. And this article that I, I read this from, they don't say anything about whether or not, I, I shouldn't say the article, but the ag ministry in China really, I don't think has come out and said anything about any other farms being affected in that area um, or, you know, if they're doing anything else to mitigate besides just culling those pigs on that specific farm. But I kind of agree. Don't think that this is really going to get anywhere positive in any, any time soon. No, absolutely not. But that's, uh, you know, all the more important reason why U.S. producers need to remain diligent in practicing biosecurity because this is going to be a potential threat for maybe ever. Who knows? Uh, but Ashton, I want to switch tracks here just a little bit. USDA said that U.S. winter wheat crop as of Monday showed 53% were in good to excellent conditions and that dry conditions in some key growing areas has really put the pressure on wheat during the past few months. We know that USDA has big reports out this week, including the first crop progress and conditions report, which will come out today at 3 p.m. Central Time. So I'll be sure to report on that. You know, as we see those planters rolling, we're going to see crop progress and conditions reports coming out here weekly Monday afternoon. So we'll be sure to update listeners on that as well. Absolutely, Delaney. You always stay on top of those reports. I'm glad that you do because I can't interpret them as well as you do. But uh, just one more thing that I'm kind of keeping my eye out on today involves the ethanol industry. And I've been trying to track down an ethanol interview, but I guess things have been quite busy in that sector of the ag industry. But hopefully we'll have somebody on at the end of the month because things seem to be taking a slow downturn, kind of calming down. But nine ethanol plant leaders in Indiana are asking Governor Eric Holcomb to veto Senate Bill 303. They say the legislation could devastate sales of E15 in the state and destroy demand for homegrown biofuels made with clean energy harvested on Indiana farms. In the letter, the group says the bill would require a warning label on E15 dispensers, which would confuse customers and conflict with federal labels already required. It will also create uncertainty and discourage more stations from offering E15. The leaders say the bill would stall COVID-19 recovery and threaten income for farmers, jobs for rural workers, and savings at the pump for drivers. Ethanol production in Indiana supports more than 15,000 jobs and contributes $3 billion each year to the state's economy. 
Half of the state's annual corn harvest is sold to ethanol plants for biofuel production and other co-products like animal feed and food grade CO2. So it sounds like this could be pretty devastating, um, you know, from what these nine different ethanol plant leaders are saying for the state of Indiana. Just going to have to be something that we keep an eye out on, see what happens if their governor does veto this Senate bill. But I've got to say, Delaney, I kind of can see where they're coming from in this part of confusing consumers. I mean, you and I obviously kind of know more about ethanol, I think, than, you know, the average person. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day asking them about ethanol and if they used ethanol fuel, anything like that. And they were really confused at, you know, what that meant. So I can kind of see where they're coming from. Yeah, I think a lot of consumers have misconceptions about ethanol versus regular gasoline versus electric, you know, et cetera. And I think a lot of consumers probably just think that to be conscientious of the environment, that um, electric is the only way to go, but ethanol and E85 is another way to do that. So hopefully the administration has some good ideas here about how to educate consumers on that, because I think you're right there, Ashton. But I tell you what, I do not have any other ag news today other than chatting markets. What do you say we hop over and take a look at today's uh, markets, Ashton? Let's do it. Well, we saw corn old crop futures pull back today, but new crop is continuing on the rise here as the May corn contract lost six and a half cents to close at 553 and a quarter. The Deese up four cents to close at 488 and a half. Soybeans today all across the board had green on the screen as the May contract added 10 and three quarters cents to close at 14, 12 and three quarters. The November new crop added five and a quarter cent to close at 1269. Wheat higher today is the Chicago May contract added seven cents to close at 618. The July up three cents to close at 613 and a half. And taking a look at the livestock markets today, we saw green across the cattle complex as the April live cattle contract added $1.35 to close at $121.37 and a half. The June up $1.87 and a half to close at $124.42 and a half. And the momentum continued today in the feeder cattle markets as the April contract added $2.57 and a half cents to close at $146.45. The May up $2.55 to close at $151.77 and a half. Lean hogs had some mixed trade today, but still a lot of strength in all contracts still sitting above $100. April contract today, 62 and a half cents higher to close at 102.40. The May down 27 and a half cents to close at 102.55. And the June contract down 72 and a half cents today to close at 105.60. And wrapping up the markets with the class three dairy milk futures. Green across these markets as well, with the April contract adding six cents to close at 17.50. The May up 10 cents to close at 18.55. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Matt Bennett. Well, for today's Hashtag Market Monday episode, we are joined by Matt Bennett of agmarket.net, who is joining us starting planting here, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. We're, you know, over the weekend, it was just pretty, uh, pretty nice out. 77, 78 degrees on Easter Sunday. So we were kind of itching to do something, but 
uh, you know, we just kind of want to wait and see what uh, Monday br- uh, brought. Of course, the insurance date for our part of the world is the 6th. So today we're trying to get some groundwork and uh, make sure our planners are going to run okay so we can we can get with it. But uh, uh, definitely good soil conditions. It's pretty dry, uh, but but definitely enough moisture to be able to get the crop up and going. So it's just really nice out right now. Yeah, it certainly is. I'm starting to see a lot of guys doing some field work, getting planters ready here around my neck of the woods. So it's uh, that time of year when guys are going to be hitting the ground running real hard here. But Matt, when you look at the markets scene, we had the quarterly grain stock and prospective plantings report last week that pushed markets to some extent exciting moves. Uh, Today, you look at markets and new crop across the board is still excited. But let's talk corn here for a second. Uh, Deese corn today closed right at 488. But uh, old crop corn is not continuing their upward momentum here. Uh, What's going on there, Matt? Was the report just excited for new crop? Well, there's no question that the level of excitement for new crop was just pretty big. Whenever you take and and you, uh, you know, essentially you're 2 million acres below for corn and over 2 million acres below for beans, uh, definitely a lot of folks' eyebrows were raised. And uh, next thing you know, we're trading up the limit for both corn and beans. So if we're looking at corn specifically, I think most of us in the industry, if we were honest, thought that the bullishness of the report, if that were to be the case, would be because of stocks more so than acreage. But yeah, you come in here and acreage definitely blows the lid off things. So, you know, I guess from my vantage point, I was surprised. I was not expecting, you know, a 91.1 for a corn acreage. Uh, we felt like you'd you'd see uh, maybe a million and a half more acres than that. So we weren't in this 94-5 camp. Uh, but <clears throat> at the same time, I was very, uh, I guess, uh, the first thing I wanted to do is I want to plug 91-1 into my fine demand balance sheet and just see how tough it was going to be, especially, Delaney, when you consider Friday's S&D report, mm-hmm. most likely, I cannot imagine any circumstance where they don't lower the carryout. So uh, I got to feel pretty confident that we're going to be looking instead of a 1502, more like a 13135 maybe, but I think they could certainly make the case for raising exports enough. Uh, Usage has been pretty good across the board to to get down to that 13 level. Uh, Matt, since you're talking supply and demand, as you mentioned, we've got a big report coming out Friday. You're thinking maybe we'll see some adjustments there, but what are the markets going to do? What are corn markets going to do to trade up into that report? And then what do you expect to see happen post-report on Friday? Well, you know, the thing is, is that uh, when it gets right down to it, a lot of traders, I think, have felt for a long time this would be the case that we would get uh, th- this adjustment lower. We were expecting it kind of in February after the big purchases from China in late January. And then we were expecting it again in March. Didn't get it either time. Now we had another round of Chinese buying. Uh, you know, and at the same time, inspections have been running well ahead of the pace that we'd need, you know, to reach the USDA goal. So in all essence, the USDA has every bit of ammunition they need to come in here and raise exports. So, you know, and again, I'd say a good 150, but it wouldn't surprise me if they don't raise a couple hundred million bushels. And if that's the case, you know, then all of a sudden you're in a much tighter situation. And then you look at next year's S&D and in the month of May, and, uh, you know, you've got a tight carry in with low acreage. So it definitely puts you in a very interesting situation in which uh, you're not going to be able to ignore Mother Nature by any means this summer. 
Yeah, Mother Nature, I think, has got some interesting weather conditions in store for us this summer if all the stars align. But Matt, final question for you. As you look at Dee's new crop corn, you know, we closed today at 488. We did touch up to the 490 level. So, you know, we're just shy of hitting that $5 mark. When do you think we do break through that $5 barrier? Uh, $5 corn, in my opinion, could certainly happen, uh, you know, this week yet. But at the same time, uh, I think it's going to be dependent upon, you know, are you going to be able to uh, to get there, you know, uh, for instance, using uh, using the S&D report. So I think that the S&D could definitely help you get over the hump, uh, you know, but to me, I think it, it's a moot point. I always try to tell my producers that if they're thinking really hard about selling at five bucks, and they need to understand that uh, 495 isn't so bad either, you know, or 493. I mean, obviously, we're flirting around $5 right now. So I don't want to get hung up on a price, but uh, I do think that we're probably uh, likely to go up to and above five bucks. All right. Well, Matt, when you look at the soybean markets, there is quite the spread going on still between may july august and you know you get further out to the november here what are we going to see have happen as we continue to see contract months roll off yeah i mean the interesting thing for this bean market of course we're up across the board up the limit on wednesday then thursday you came back and gave half those gains back on old crop but new crop actually gained ground so uh some bear spur going on there and then you come back in today and at times you know we're trading 15 16 or more higher and so uh, uh whereas new crop was lagging just a little bit uh you know versus what we were seeing as far as old crop now i guess i'm of the opinion that you're still going to see um, you know your front months lead the way i know that uh uh you know it, it's pretty tough to get bullish up above 14 dollars but at the same time this is just an extremely tight situation and it's not going to get fixed uh, you know, overall, it's not going to get fixed with 87.6 million acres of beans. I know that. But as far as old crops concerned, I think that you're going to run into a situation this summer where we're, we're going to struggle to find soybeans here in the U.S. And so you know, I think it's going to have big implications as far as basis is concerned. If anybody had uh, old beans, you know, and let's say the board even uh, wasn't able to, uh, I guess, rally significantly or keep this rally up. I think the basis is going to do the work. So I kind of feel like these old beans are going to be pretty good property uh, because I, I just think we're going to have a hard time sourcing them. So if guys still are sitting on some old crop beans, you think they should be holding on a little bit longer here? Gambling bushels. You know, I guess the way I explain it is at $14 beans, what else are you asking for? You know, <laughs> so I want to sell. But at the same time, do I want to gamble on some bushels? You better believe it. Yeah. So I do know a handful of producers. They're few and far between that have, uh, you know, any measurable amount of soybeans uh, that are still on hand. In those situations, I've been telling them, hey, guys, you know, well, let's get down to gambling bushels. But I don't have any issue with a guy holding on to those because uh, it could be a very dynamic market this summer. If we see any weather whatsoever, it's, it, it's going to be a pretty wild market. Yeah, Matt. I mean, walk us through here, corn and soybean scenarios, since you are looking at balance sheets. What What's going to happen if we do not have not even a bumper crop, but, you know, what if we don't have substantial yield numbers this year because we have hot and dry or something happens weather-wise? What does that do to our supplies here come harvest? Well, you know, I've got to think that when it's all said and done, our carryout for this marketing year is 
probably going to be closer to a billion bushels on corn than what it will be 1.5. And so that puts you in a pretty tight situation for your carry in. If you don't get a big corn crop here in 21, then uh, you can't build stocks, especially at 91.1. I do expect acreage to get bumped up some. I think that the, uh, uh, the amount of acres that are out there to grab a hold of is limited and fertilizer prices being so robust might make it tough for corn to gain a lot of acres. But let's just say you end up at 92 million acres. I'll tell you what, you're going to need a yield. Uh, you know, if you can't get a yield north of 180, uh, it's going to put you in a situation where you're one, a sub one five two years in a row, uh, which obviously would be very supportive for prices for soybeans. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I think all time highs are in the offing. Uh, all-time highs are in the offing. If we don't see, um, you know, if we if we don't see uh, just ideal weather, if we do see ideal weather, I suppose you could keep this thing at a fairly decent uh, uh, level as far as price is concerned. But you know, uh, I guess my personal personal opinion is uh, um, you're going to need like a 52 or 53 bushel yield at these acres, and I, I just think that's pretty pretty tough to expect. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with weather mixed into that. Matt, let's talk the cattle markets here. Live cattle have been on a nice little trend upward here. How much steam do you think we've got left in these sales? Um, what, what was that question now? I said live cattle, they've been on a nice little trend here upward. You know, you look at the June live cattle contract here, they've been continuing to put in some new highs here over the past couple of weeks. How much higher do you think we can go? Oh, I think on the cattle market, the, the, the demand is just awfully, awfully solid, solid. But, you know, I've been thinking all along that you would see, you know, the, the, the biggest demand or I guess the biggest run up in prices uh, was going to be in the third and fourth quarter due to numbers. But, you know, here we are at over $120 cattle uh, for this spring, early summer time frame. And I guess I'm a little surprised if I was looking for, uh, you know, third and fourth quarter prices. Uh, what what kind of levels do you think we can get to? I think it's a foregone conclusion for me anyway, that those 130 plus levels out into the new year, you know, those levels, in my opinion, are going to be uh, something that we can easily attain moving forward, especially when you get into this uh, higher demand time frame. People like to get out and grill and more people are going out to eat right now, vaccine, call it what you want. But I think people are feeling a little more comfortable getting out and about. Yeah, absolutely. And that seemed to also be reflected in the lean hog market. But man, I tell you what, Matt, when you look at the June lean hog chart, other than some days where we saw a little bit of correction, there really hasn't been a whole lot of turnaround in these in this lean hog market. How much higher can they go? Well, I don't know. That's, uh, that's the toughest question of all, to be honest. I mean, how do you get bullish, you know, June hogs at 106 bucks? It's, it's just tough to do. But you know, at the same time, I think that your your total numbers overall, you know, have to come into question whenever you're looking at uh, whether it's ASF out of China, whether it's PERS in the U.S., uh, total numbers have to make you think, holy cow, uh, you know, we could be in an extreme shortage of pork, you know, uh, on down the road. Of course, demand's staying fairly good once again, uh, but I guess my biggest thing has to do with supply. Whenever demand's still fairly strong, uh, supply being limited in this way, potentially pretty scary. Absolutely. Especially as we see China continuing to uh, come to the buying table as they're still trying to rebuild their pork herds. So I think hopefully the demand is going to be there for a little while longer with them as well. Yes, uh, no doubt 
about it. China's uh, typically when we're talking uh, hogs, I mean, that, that is the main thing that we're going to talk about. So, uh, you know, no doubt their consumption uh, appetite for protein is just in, unprecedented. I mean, they, they continue to, uh, uh, you know, basically gobble up everything they can get a hold of. But we know they like eating pork chops in China. And then that's one thing that they're going to continue to do. Uh, you know, if they can't raise them enough of it themselves, they're going to go out and source them. Absolutely. Well, Matt, before I let you go, if folks want to chat markets with you a little more in depth or find out about agmarket.net, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, just uh, agmarket.net there on the web or agmarket.app. That's our app. A lot of people get our information through there, but there's a lot of good tools in either place to be able to go in and, and get a hold of our information and you know uh, be able to find any of our contact info, research that we do, and then some of the technology we provide. Fantastic. Well, Matt, good luck planting this year. We might not talk to you till after you're over there. So hope things run smoothly for you. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, again, a big thank you there to Matt, especially since he took time while he was in the tractor today to chat markets with us. Absolutely. I always love it when people call us from the combine, the tractor, you know, doing anything on the farm. I think it's really interesting because we get to hear a little bit about what they're doing. But we're always talking to people, whether they're in the farm or on the farm, I should say, or in an office, whatever they're doing in the world of agriculture, we're sure that it's always interesting. So folks, be sure to tune in at agnewsdaily.com and follow along on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at agnewsdaily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.